We pray now that you would speak to us from your word. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears. So that the spirit may direct your word in us and work in us and change us. The way that you will be glorified and your people will be blessed. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We want to uh, just put a little postscript here. The scripture that was posted uh, on the screen was right because it's the scripture that I gave Brother Argo to post. And then the scripture that Pastor Harris read was right because it was the scripture that I gave him to, to read. But it was just off balance because of me, not Brother Michael or Pastor Harris. I just want to make that clear. I want to turn your attention again to 1 Kings chapter 3 and just read in verses 23 through 27 once again. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives. Your son is dead, is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the mother whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. I want to preach today with the help of the Holy Spirit. I solicit your prayers from the subject, biblical models of motherhood. I want to talk about biblical, biblical models of motherhood. When we think about models in today's terminology, what usually comes to our minds are specimens of perfection. Strolling or strutting down a carpeted walkway with lots of glitz, lots of glamour, bright lights, and cameras flashing. Well, that's not the way the Bible portrays its great models of the faith, at least in most cases. For you see, in most cases, what we find in biblical models are people just like you and people just like me. People who faced real and often complex matters of life. We see in biblical models the good, the bad, the ugly. We see in biblical models the real life, real time flops, flounders, and failures of men and women as they live through the daily ebbs and flows of life. Yet more importantly, what we see in biblical models and in the context of today's message entitled Biblical Models of Motherhood are lives transformed by the power of God 
and used to display outstanding qualities of motherhood. So as we move through our journey, we will examine the lives of three biblical examples of motherhood. And as we go, I want to challenge you to forget about perfection and focus upon what happens in the life of a woman which she is remarkably, radically revolutionized by the transforming power of God. The first biblical model of motherhood is a woman who was yearning with compassion. Her name remains a mystery, and her story is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 28, where the text, as you've already heard, reveals that there were two women who get this, who were harlots. Two women who were harlots, two women who sold themselves out to men, came to Solomon so that he could render a verdict concerning a dispute between them. The first woman said to the king, this woman and I dwell in the same house and I gave birth while she was in the house and then it happened the third day after I gave birth. Uh, this woman also gave birth and we were together. No one was with us in the house. Solomon, king, there, there are no other witnesses. It was just her and, and me. This woman's son died in the night because she laid on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maid servant slept and laid him in her bosom. And then, king, she laid her dead son in my bosom. When I arose in the morning to nurse my son there, he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. And then the other woman said, no. But the living one is my son, and the dead one is, is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And then the king said, bring me a sword. And so they brought a sword before the king, and, and, and the king said, divide the living child in two. In other words, cut him in half. Give half to one woman and half to the other. Then the woman who, whose son was really living spoke to the king, get this, for she yearned. Here's the quality. Here's the quality, mothers. For she yearned with compassion for her son. His quality. She yearned for compassion for her son, and she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other woman said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is the mother. Yearning compassion. 
You see, because this mother's yearning, a compassion, her son's life was spared through the wisdom of Solomon. A mother's yearning compassion is a truism. A mother's yearning compassion will motivate her to the place to place the best interest of her child or her children above her own. That's a yearning compassion. It will motivate her. It will drive her to place the best interest of her child or her children even above her own. You see, although the first mother wanted to prove herself right and prove herself justified in the eyes of the king and the other woman and perhaps others who witnessed this event or at least had heard about it through the grapevine, although she wanted to be right in the eyes of the king, she was not willing to sacrifice her son on the altar of proving her point pressing her claim, or having her own way. So her yearning with compassion for the life and well-being of her son motivated her to place, to a place where her action said to the king, as well as her unjust adversary, her action said this, if proven my point, If pressing my claim, if promoting my agenda will mean the death of my son, then let him live. And I will suffer the shame. I will take upon myself the embarrassment. I will deal with the loss of my reputation. So it is yearning compassion of this unnamed harlot screams down the corridors of time reminding men and women mothers and fathers to save our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren challenging us not to sacrifice them on the altar of personal goals personal objectives, personal ambitions, desires, yearnings, or even cravings. For you see, mothers, your children are watching you closely to see your next move. So what will they see? Will they see you scratching and clawing with dogged determination to prove your point, satisfy your desires, and have your own way even at the expense of their well-being? Or will they see you yearning with compassion and looking out Always under every circumstance and under every condition, looking out for their best interest, their best interest, and even if they're too young to know now, 
They will hear about your choice. They will live through your choice later. The second model of biblical motherhood is a woman of radical transformation. And as I prepared this sermon, I thought that neither this first model nor the second model would be selected in many uh, Mother's Day's messages because of their background. You, you see, the second model it is a, it's a, a, mother, a motherhood is a woman of radical transformation. Her life and her lifestyle underwent a drastic change as a result of her encounter with the true and living God. As a result of this encounter she had with the true and living God, her life was never the same. Her name is Rahab, and her story is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. Rahab, like our first model, was a harlot. She ran a house of ill repute in Jericho. When Joshua sent two spies into Jericho in order to spout the land, they went to Rahab's house and they stayed there. Somehow the king of Jericho found out that the spies were in Rahab's house and they sent word to Rahab to turn the men over to her, to him rather. But instead of turning the spies over to the king, Rahab hid them on her roof And then she convinced the king's men that the spies were no longer at her house. Now, somewhere between verses 3 and 4, Rahab had a God encounter that changed her life. Somewhere between the king sending word to her saying, turn them over to us. And somewhere between that point and her actually hiding the spies, Rahab had a God-changing event in her life. Like the prodigal son in Luke 15, 17, Rahab had a spiritual awakening that led her into a lifelong relationship with God that was real and personal and practical. Imagine that, if you will. I met a guy some months ago uh, doing one of my exercise walks and jogs, and he had something interesting on the side of his sports car. He had the words on the side of his sports car, bad boy saved. And I began to call him bad boy saved. And one day while I was out exercising, I saw him. I hadn't seen him in a long time. He was driving his Corvette, and I I waved to him. He blew at me, and I waved to him. And I told my wife when I got home, guess what? I saw bad boy saved today. I want to encourage you that Rahab was a bad girl, saved. 
she had a real personal and practical relationship with God somewhere between verses 4 and 5. The seed had been planted earlier, but the conversion took place there. So notice the testimony of her newfound faith in God as she shares with the spies in verse 9 saying, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you have fallen on us. Verse 10, she says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea. But notice verse 11, for the Lord your God. Did you get that? The Lord your God. Here's her testimony now. He is God. She's saved. Bad girl saved for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below there you have it from the lips of a harlot the woman who had grown up serving a multiplicity of gods in Jericho now professing faith in the true and living God the God of Israel the God of Abraham Isaac Jacob Rebecca so it was when the city of Jericho was destroyed. Rahab and her family were saved. Now notice carefully, Rahab married Solomon and became the mother of Boaz. You remember Boaz? And Boaz married Ruth, who he met on the threshing floor. What a wonderful love story. If you haven't read it, read it. And then Ruth gave birth to Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, through whom the lineage traveled all the way to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Matthew 1, 1 through 17 will give you that lineage in its entirety. Yet Rahab's life started out rough. But when she gave her life to God as a wretched and as a wicked and as a worthless person in terms of her relationship to God and humanity, she gave her life to him as it was. God used her not only in the process of saving his people, Israel, but also placed her in the lineage of his son, Jesus. Footnote. There may be some mothers listening to me today in the sanctuary, on the radio, or around the world as our broadcast goes out on the internet. And maybe you've made a mess of your life. Maybe you've broken every rule in the book. Maybe you are ashamed of yourself and the way you lived in the past. Maybe because of divorce, maybe because of abortion, maybe because of fornication, maybe because of adultery, maybe because of a whole onslaught of things, you almost didn't even come to church 
on this Mother's Day for fear of being painfully reminded of how far your life has missed the mark. Maybe you didn't even want to come today for fear of hearing another sermon about the virtuous woman. So let Rahab's story be a blessing to you. Knowing that if God could take a lady of the evening, pardon her of her sins, clean her up, turn her life around, use her to preserve a nation, and place her in the lineage of his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He can do and he will do the very same thing for you. Not only that, let your children know and let your grandchildren know and let your great-grandchildren know that you have been redeemed, bought with a price. Jesus has changed your whole life. You ain't what you used to be. Ain't no shame in letting them know that while you may have started out on the wrong road, the God you serve is willing and able to forgive. He is the God of another chance. So you let them know on this Mother's Day that the same blood Jesus shed to pardon your sins will pardon their sins too. Words of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, tells the story of our faithful God who's willing to forgive the sins of all who cast their cares upon him. For the hymn writer penned and refrained these words, pardon for sin, and a peace that endurance thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings are mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Mothers, morning by morning, new mercies I see all I have needed. Thy hand has provided great is thy faithfulness. I've dropped a ball. Great is thy faithfulness. Have not always got it right, but great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Mothers tell your children about the scarlet cord in Rahab's window representing her pardon from her many sins. Tell them that their pardon is because of the scarlet blood of Jesus shed for them way back on Calvary's cross. Tell them Jesus suffered, bled, and died for their sins, but early Sunday morning rose victoriously from the grave with all power in his hand. Tell them that's the God your mama serves. That's the God your grandmama serves. That's to God your great-grandmama served. He's aimed. The third model of biblical motherhood, and I'm done, is a woman of humble submission to God. 
Her name is Mary, and we read about her in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, where the angel Gabriel was sent by God to Nazareth to tell Mary that she had found favor with God and would become the mother of Jesus. Mary's response was overwhelming shock for two reasons. First, she was a virgin, and second, she was of lowly estate. Did you get that? No fame, no fortune, no glitz, no no glamour, no flashing lights, no flashing cameras. Lowly estate, extremely poor. Gabriel said to Mary in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also the Holy One is born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, Mary, this remarkable mom of lowly estate, makes one more profound statement. One of the most profound statements, rather, in the annals of biblical history. She responded, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. He goes to humble submission. Let it be to me according to your word. His Mary's purpose in life was to be used by God in any way he chose. Her greatest ambition, a dream, aspiration, desire was to please God with every ounce of her being. Mothers, one of the greatest lessons you can teach your children your grandchildren, the children that you mentor is to humbly submit their lives to God. What a powerful quality for a mother to pass on to her children, to her child. Humbly submit your life to God. So you lead them to develop the greatest potential. Don't you leave that to the school system. Don't you leave that to Hollywood. Don't you leave that to their peers or or to the neighbors or, or to friends. You lead them to develop their greatest potential. You lead them to strive for excellence in every worthwhile endeavor. You lead them to be the very best that they can be. But most of all, mothers, you lead them to Jesus. Lead them to the cross. Lead them to the Savior who gave his life for them. And lead them to give their lives to him in humble submission. Lead them to yield their lives to God's purposes and to God's plan. Lead them to embrace and live out the doctrine of an old hymn of the church. It says, take my life and let it be 
consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow with endless praise. Take my will. Did you get that? Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal. 